Hello, and welcome to Workle's Meet the Business Author podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to a range of people who've written books on business. From a range of authors across all industries, this podcast aims to help you understand more about business and how to create success. On this edition of Meet the Business Author podcast, I'm really pleased to be joined by Tessa West, the author of Jerks at Work. Tessa is a professor of psychology at New York University. And before that, uh, she completed a PhD at the University of Connecticut and also her degree in psychology. So who better to ask about jerks at work and how you get the best from them? So Tessa, welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us about your book, Jerks at Work. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a fun topic to talk about. It's really hard to go through life without encountering at least one jerk, right? <laughs> so I think most people can relate. Well, I think it could be very helpful for a lot of people. I want to ask you, first of all, about, about your, your degree and um, the work that you do, the research that you do, which is focused on the understanding, uh, the nature and the dynamics of social perception. What is that? It's a great question. I think, you know, broadly speaking, what I study is uncomfortable social interactions. So anytime we go into an interaction where we're feeling anxious or uncertain, we're not sure how the other person's going to respond. You know, there's a lot of kind of emotions in the air, usually negative emotions. We often kind of engage in this worst case scenarioizing in our mind. That's really what I study. And I think the reason why it's interesting to study interpersonal dynamics is because what's going on in the heads of the two people involved or sometimes three or four are often very different. And the behaviors that we engage in, the things that we do that people pick up on don't often align with what we actually mean to do. And so I study interpersonal communication. I study these dynamics because what we do and say often doesn't align with intentions. And often the people make impressions of us that aren't quite what we meant to give off or intended to give off. So really what I study are these uncomfortable interactions that give way to miscommunication. Um, and I think that's just a fascinating topic. And you see it everywhere from workplace interactions to going to visit your doctor to, you know, even talking to a bank teller. So it's it's pretty universal process that we go through these things. And so tell me, what was it that um, led you to write your your book? I've had a number of experiences. I think what really pushed me over the edge was when I became the jerk at work <laughs> and I was uh, in charge of the psych social psychology area at New York University and I was helping with a move. So we we're moving our offices from one side to another and people were just very resistant to move. You know, they didn't want to leave their old offices. Some of them had been in there for 20 years. They liked knowing who they were next to and who they were going to run into on the way to the bathroom and, and you know, their little creature comforts were there. So it was very disruptive and I was just extremely frustrated with this and I became what I call in my book the bulldozer. So I tried to like plow things through and tell people to stop whining and you know people even cried at some points and I kind of realized sitting on the subway one day in New York City like damn I've really become this person that I didn't realize I could become and I realized that you know we all have this potential to do these things at work and I thought you know, most of us don't really learn any of these strategies of how to deal with difficult people. We learn how to do our jobs, but 
We never go through any kind of communication training or anything like that. So I wanted to write a book that would be helpful to people, make them feel like they actually had agency, they could deal with these things. And in your book, you identify seven types of jerks at work. Um, you just mentioned there very honestly and openly that you identified with one of them, the bulldozer, when you did that work. <laughs> yeah. But, but for our listeners, um, tell us about those seven types that they'll find in your book. Sure. So I have seven types. The first four are really about colleagues or coworkers, and the last three are about bosses. So the first type is the kiss up, kick downer. So this is that person who is really terrible to people who work at the same level as them or beneath them. But they have some talent that they bring to the organization and the boss loves them. So if you go complaining about them, your boss will look at you like you're jealous or petty and say, what are you talking about? That person's wonderful. So they can be very tough to be because of that. The next type is the credit stealer. So we've all been in a room where we've come up with an idea. Someone comes along, they maybe say it more eloquently than we did, or they summarize it better. They get all the credit for our good ideas. They get credit for the hard work we've done. Most of these people tend to be friends and confidants and sometimes even bosses which makes it even a little bit more painful when they do it because we didn't see it coming. And the next type is the bulldozer, the one that I, I just mentioned. So this person can take over processes and meetings. We've all been in a lot of Zoom calls where one person's face dominates the screen. That tends to be the bulldozer. They don't mind cutting people off. They don't mind interrupting. But the kind of more dangerous thing they do is they go behind the scenes to work their magic. So if they don't like the outcome of something, so go to people in power and complain about the process and say it wasn't done correctly. We didn't follow the rules. And they can be very, dis very disruptive to group processes. Lots of votes, ends, and impasses and things like that. And then the last type of coworkers, the free writer. So this problem got really bad during the pandemic. These are the people who can really find the most conscientious teams full of go-getters, get in there and just coast and not do their fair share of work. They tend to be very charismatic and well-liked. And so um, team members often kind of make up excuses for them. And then if we work in a bunch of teams that are siloed off from each other, free writers can kind of just tell each of these teams that they're working very hard on the other team, even though they're not, and they never get caught. So this became a real issue in the last couple of years. Then we have the micromanager. So this is actually the most common form of management at work. Micromanagers oversee everything with close detail. Doesn't matter how irrelevant it is or important doesn't matter if you're a pretty independent person or not. Um, you know, they're kind of always panicking because they're paying so much attention to detail. So you get requests for things like 20 minute turnaround time. And, you know, this is the most grading type of manager we can have at work. Then we kind of have the opposite side of that coin, which is the neglectful boss. That person that we see, you know, once every two months, we never can predict when they show up. But when they do, they tend to be in a panic because they've been out of the loop. So kind of the irony of the neglectful boss is they also micromanage, often at the 11th hour, often in ways that are disruptive to your productivity, then they completely disappear again, never to check in on whether the work that they did during that micromanagement phase ever goes anywhere. Then we have the last type of really difficult person or boss, which is the gaslighter. So this person is pretty pathological. They tend to lie, not little white lies, but they lie to deceive on a grand scale, to create an alternative reality for you. Um, often to get you to help them out with something that they're doing unethical at work or to make sure that you don't quote unquote cheat on them with other leaders. Um, they do this by cutting you off socially. So if you have a boss who tells you, don't go to that happy hour, stop talking to people during lunch, don't reach out to other leaders, that tends to be a huge red flag that your gaslighter is just kind of warming you up, getting you ready for the process. 
that's really insightful. And um, when you're talking about the last one, does that include the type of manager who says, uh, I demand your loyalty? Yes. So demanding loyalty is a huge red flag that you have a gaslighter. Sometimes they do it by threatening you. They'll say things like, nobody here likes you. No one wants you here. Keep your head down. If you make too much noise, you're going to get fired. Sometimes they do it with flattery. You're a part of something really special, like what cult leaders do. You know, I, you're the chosen one, so to speak. And sometimes they're just very explicit. I demand loyalty. If I don't get that loyalty, don't expect to have an office when you come back tomorrow. Um, so that's kind of a very threatening, but very explicit form of gaslighting. And, and tell me, in general, what do people do wrong when they encounter difficult people at work? I think our gut instinct is to um, either avoid completely. So most of us are pretty conflict avoidant for good reasons. It's uncomfortable and we quite honestly don't have any good skills of how to do it. Or when we do confront, we take too much of a radical candor approach and we lead with the problem and how it makes us feel. So we kind of unload a lot on the person that we're having difficult relationship with. And we know from relationship science, we know from our marriages, our relationships with our kids, that this approach never works. It just makes people very defensive. And then you end up doing things like stonewalling them when they yell back at you, or they engage in what we call reverse blame. They tell you it's your fault. So we get into these really negative cycles and we do confront, and then it just makes us think, well, that didn't work out. I'm never trying that again. I'm just going to quit. And hopefully the grass will be greener on the other side. It rarely is, but that's, that tends to be the cycle people fall into. So what tactics can people use then to navigate trouble in the office? So I think the first thing you want to ask yourself is, is this person engaging in this behavior kind of willingly and intentionally? And often it's the case that the answer is actually no. Some of their jerk behavior is even more disruptive to them than it is to you. So people like the gaslighter and the kiss up kickdowner, you know, they're pretty conniving. They're, they know exactly what they're doing. But there's other people like micromanagers and free riders um, sometimes even bulldozers, you know, in special circumstances who aren't quite aware of how disruptive their behavior is. So if people aren't totally aware of it, don't expect them to actually know that they're engaging in these behaviors because people don't give us that feedback they don't tell us. So when you have these conversations with them, it's better to kind of lead with, you know, something that's a little bit more positive. You want to confront one of these, what I call accidental jerks at work or unintentional folks by first opening up with something that you like that they do, that you want them to do more of. And this can be hard for us because we often can't think of these things, but a micromanager, for example, they're great at giving feedback. It's very detailed. It's just gone in like this completely disruptive direction. So open with something you want them to do more of. And then when you do bring up the issue, focus on the behaviors, very specific, not on how you feel about it and not on why they're doing it. So you wouldn't wanna say you're smothering me or you don't trust me to a micromanager. You'd wanna say, you only give me 20 minutes for, you know, to turn around an email and that's difficult. And then from there, you can transition to how you're going to get your goals aligned with that person. You want me to do X, I need to do Y. Can we figure out a timeline for this? And then lean into kind of short, frequent meetings rather than every two weeks, longer meetings. Um, so I think there is this art to actually confronting people that makes it less scary for you and less threatening for them. Um, but the other thing that we need to have in our tool belt is forming allyships with people who are outside of our friendship network. So for people like the gaslighter and the kiss up, kick downer, you're going to really need to have friends of friends to be able to beat these folks. And I'm not talking your best friend that you go to pub with at the end of the day, more like the boss's, you know, good friend from 20 years ago that the person working in IT happens to know. 
So these kind of more arm's length folks can really help you broaden your social network and form relationships with other people who can give you advice, who can help you with connections to kind of beat your jerk at work in a more indirect way. And if all of those things fail for you, the other thing that people can do is buy your book, Jerks at Work. <laughs> they can earmark the page where the uh, manager is offended, underline it, and leave it on their desk while they're at lunch. Yeah, I was joking to someone that my book has become the new glitter bomb of the office, that if you don't like someone, you can just shove it in their desk or you know put it in their mailbox with a little note or something like that. But but I think that highlights the kind of lack of awareness we have of our own behavior at work. And most of the people I talk to when they find out they've been jerks, they learn about it 20 years later, sort of just serendipitously by running into someone they happen to work with. Like no one I really ever told them that they did this thing until, you know, many years later. So I, I do think it's a real issue of self-awareness that we have. When people read your book, what do you hope they'll get from it? I hope they have a sense of agency that they can do these things. So I think, you know, it's okay to feel anxious and nervous to confront a difficult person at work. We've all done it. I've certainly hid from difficult people and avoided it. Um, but I think if we just sort of embrace this idea that if we practice at it and do it immediately after the behavior that we find, you know, irritating or offensive or whatever, we do it in kind of small bites. We don't wait till the end of the quarter or the end of the year to do it. We'll get better at it. So yes, it's difficult. Yeah, it can be uncomfortable. But if you try it, try it in small doses. Focus on something really small that somebody did. And at the end of the conversation, ask them if they have feedback for you. And we hate that. I, I hate asking that question. I don't really want to know the answer. But it always helps the person accept the feedback that I just gave them if they know they're going to get a chance to kind of do the same thing to me back. It's much more reciprocal. And then we learn what we can do better. And so I think it's okay to be scared, but have some agency, try these things, try to teach them to other people and just make it normative to have conversations around difficult people and conflict at work. Because not talking about it is a bigger problem than actually talking about it and doing it poorly. Tessa West, a professor of psychology at New York University. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for talking about your book, Jerks at Work. And um, I think if people read it, they're gonna get an awful lot from it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To buy the book, head to Workle's Business Library, where you can browse over 300,000 business titles. See you next time. <laughs>